The Old Testament reading today is from Psalm 67 and can be found on page 574 in your pew Bibles. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May his face shine on us so that we may be known on earth. Your salvation among all nations. May the people praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the people praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. The New Testament reading is from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 23 to 29, and can be found on page 1081 in your pew Bibles. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Hair in my mouth. Um, so as I, uh, well, actually this, let's just start over. Okay. Um, one way that I have thought of my uh, role as a pastor, um, and this was, this was probably more true when we served at a church that was a little bit more caught up in the sentimentality and consumerism of Western Christianity, uh, but I've thought of it with this image um, I used to imagine myself wading through this, like, just sea of trinkets. Um, like, all the things you could buy at the Christian bookstore, like the balls that say, Jesus loves you, and, like, Jesus action figures. Um, wall hangings with, like, swirly purple writing and American flags. Um, I thought of myself as wading through that and trying desperately to clear a space so that I could stomp my foot on the ground below and say, there's something real down here. Because sometimes our faith um, can seem a bit cheesy, or worse, it can seem dangerous because of um, all that we have done to it, right? All the ways that we've marketed it, all the things that we've kind of mixed in there with it. Um, But there is something real, something weighty beneath all of that. There's something solid at the base. But it seems like you can't find that solid thing without engaging with Jesus on a deep level. Um, Our passage begins 
with Jesus saying, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and, and we will come to them and make our home with them. I hadn't noticed that line uh, in there before this week. We will come to them and make our home with them. How lovely. Like once God's home, there was a time when God's home was all of heaven and earth. And then in the coming of sin, heaven and earth kind of split. And then because God is persistent and because God is love, God made God's home, God made God's home in the temple, and, or in the tabernacle and then the temple. And then in the incarnation, the person of Jesus became the new temple. This place where heaven and earth meet, where God and humanity could know one another. And now, after the resurrection, after the ascension, God makes God's home in us. And through our obedience to God, and through the power of the Spirit, we become the place where heaven and earth meet, where God can be made known to the world. Anyone who loves me will obey my teachings, and we will come to them and make our home in them. So I was thinking this week about obeying Jesus' teachings, and so I read through the Gospel of John um, just trying to see specifically what John was pointing to, right? John put this thing together, and so if he's going to um, multiple times through the Gospel say, obey my teachings or obey my commands, uh, I thought he would include specifically what he thought we should obey. Um, and I, as I was reading it, I actually skipped most of the text and just read the words of Jesus. I have one of those red letter Bibles that makes it easy to do that. I'd never actually done that before. Uh, I don't think it's a good way to read the Bible all the time. But, uh, but it was a really interesting exercise for me. And some themes, like just reading the words that Jesus had said, some themes stood out really clearly. Um, like, John doesn't actually talk about that many different, or Jesus, rather, in the Gospel of John, Jesus doesn't actually talk about that many different things. He repeats himself a ton. Um, he talks a lot about believing in him. He talks a lot about his being one with the Father, that everything he says and does is only because his Father told him. And he talks a lot about us having that same unity with Jesus that he has with the Father, there's this connection that just keeps coming up between Jesus' oneness with the Father and our being united with Christ and our belief and our obedience and all these things kind of just seem to hover around each other and Jesus keeps talking about them. And kind of interestingly, though he mentions several times that obedience is how you love Jesus, how you abide in Jesus, and our passage is one example of that, despite all this focus on obedience, there's actually not that many clear commands in the book of John. Like, a handful. Um, <clears throat> more than a handful, maybe like two handfuls. <laughs> so that's what I was looking for as I read. I was trying to find these kind of clear commands. Um, you know, in Matthew, you get like whole chapters of this, right? The Sermon on the Mount is three chapters of advice, like things you should do to be obedient, but it's just not true in John. There are several times 
when Jesus says things about reality that sort of hint at a way of being, right? Like he'll say, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from them. So there's kind of this implied, you should believe in me. Uh, but it's not a clear command. And there are, there are a few times that are more clear, like Jesus says to the disciples, you should wash one another's feet. Um, that's a pretty clear, but it's a metaphor too, so is how clear? But it, he does say, do this. Um, he shouts at the money changers, stop making my father's house into a market. There's a lot for us to figure out how to obey in that. Um, but he's talking in a specific situation. It's not a general command. Um, but three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus gets very, very clear, um, actually labeling what he's saying as a command each time, and each time the command is the same. Chapter 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Chapter 15, verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And 15, chapter 15, verse 17, this is my command, love each other. So that's like one really clear way, if you're wondering how to obey Jesus' teaching, <laughs> that's a really good starting place, right? And it can, can take up your whole life to figure out how to do it. It is one of those things that's such a beautiful idea and so hard in practice. It takes pretty much everything we've got. If you've got baggage that keeps you from loving other people, from trusting them and experiencing intimacy, then going to counseling might be obedience for you. If you get mean when you're tired, then maybe taking a nap is obedience for you. <laughs> Tony loves that one. Uh, if you've got some issue between you and another person, then having a tough conversation is obedience for you. Or maybe it's making a meal or helping out or listening to someone's grief or apologizing or learning about your own participation in racism, working to dismantle harmful systems, protesting, all these things. Like one of the things that's really lovely about the command to love is that there are so many different ways to be obedient to it. Love is enormous. Most of other, like, and most of Jesus' other teachings things that we can obey, like the chapters in Matthew, they're help along the way. They're a little bit more specific about how we can love one another. Be honest. Stick with your commitments. Be humble. Forgive. So the other thing that I noticed as I was reading through um, Jesus' words in John, uh, thinking about commands, is that there are a lot of very specific commands to specific people in specific situations, um, especially right before miracles. Fill the jars with water. Pick up your mat and walk. Go, she will live. Lazarus, come out. It seems that when Jesus walked with us, his work depended to some degree on people's willingness to participate in it. And it makes sense that then that if Jesus and the Father dwell in us, that they might continue to speak in this way. It's part of the Christian life to learn to listen to this voice and to obey it. 
And that um, gets kind of uncomfortable, right? Uh, particularly in our, uh, <laughs> particularly when you've had someone say, God told me, and you can just tell that they're manipulating you. Um, right? People sometimes say, God said, just too easily, too quickly. And what they really might mean is, I just feel strongly about this. Um, and some people use that language maliciously, right? Religious leaders using it to abuse people or to amass power. Um, someone said to me, uh, I was talking to her about this kind of thing, and she's like, oh, well, wherever God gives a gift, there's always like a counterfeit of it. Um, but that doesn't mean the gift doesn't exist. That's what... I think that's what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. It's also good to not use Jesus' name as a swear word, but like taking the Lord's name in vain is saying God said when God didn't really say. We have to be so careful. But it doesn't mean that we lose listening to the Spirit altogether. God speaks still. And still, we listen for the voice of God. Those moments when God may want us to go wash in a pool and be healed. Or stand up straight when we've spent our life bent over. Or get our filthy money out of the temple or help someone take off their grave clothes and enter back into new life. In our passage, Jesus tells the disciples that he has taught them a lot, but that when the Spirit comes, the Spirit will both remind them of the things that Jesus has already said and also teach them all things. Like, it's a little messy, and we're going to get it wrong sometimes, but learning to listen to the Spirit is part of learning to obey Jesus' teachings. And we begin to discern that prompting by obeying the things that are already very clear to us. Like if you're unsure, start with what you know how to trust, like loving each other, super clear in scripture. So focus your attention there. And if you need advice about how to do that, then flip over to the Sermon on the Mount. As you practice, your trust will grow. Your understanding will grow. And you will know what the words of Jesus sound like so that when the Spirit speaks, you will begin to recognize it. And the disciples at this point are still like right at the beginning of this journey. Um, They've only been with Jesus for three years, which like granted it was like in the flesh and all day every day. Um, They couldn't even like zone out scrolling through Facebook. That (laughs) That wasn't a thing. Uh, So they were, like, present with Jesus for three years. Uh, But they've still got a lot to learn, even then. Their faith is still in its infancy and still fragile, and and they don't have the Spirit yet. So in our passage, in just incredible kindness, I think, Jesus is preparing them for what is about to come, for the trauma and arrest of the arrest and crucifixion. He's saying, like, look, it's going to be really hard, but it's going to be okay. Um, Those of you who are parents or if you have little siblings or nieces and nephews, uh, we do this with kids, right? 
we prepare them beforehand to strengthen them for when the thing happens. Like, here's what's going to happen on your first day of school. Like, hmm, I wonder how you might feel when I leave. It might be tough for you, but your teacher will be with you and I will come back and get you. Right? We do this kind of pre-comforting because it strengthens them when they've heard it beforehand rather than facing it all as unknown. And Jesus is doing this like very kind action in our passage. I am going away, he says, but I will not leave you alone. The Spirit will be with you. It's going to be okay. Don't be afraid. You can have peace, even, because you know that you can trust me. Like Julian of Norwich, talking about all the difficulties of this world, but being assured, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. We look forward with confidence because Jesus is trustworthy. When I was reading through Jesus' words in John, I noticed that he does this like pre-comforting thing a bunch of times, um, like at least four And one of those times was particularly striking. In chapter 16, Jesus says this, A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. It's actually like the reverse of what he normally says. Normally it's like, I'm leaving, but you're going to be okay. And this time he says, you're going to leave me, but I'm going to be okay. He's comforting them in their coming failure. They will turn their backs on him and abandon him, and it will be okay, he says. The very next verse, he says this, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You will desert me. Things will be hard for you, but I am stronger than that. You can have peace even then. Like, is that not so kind? You know, when they've finished running from their fear, they can slow down enough and their head's clear, they can remember that Jesus has assured them that even in their betrayal, that was not too much for his love. In every one of these instances, Jesus is trying to help them to have faith even through difficult things. Whether those tough things are feeling abandoned by Jesus or realizing that actually they are the ones who abandoned him. In our passage, Jesus says, I have told you now so that before before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I think that's how we can all learn to receive the peace that Jesus promises in this this passage, that Jesus gives in this passage. We learn to trust Jesus even when when things are hard, no matter why they're hard. We learn to trust that even then, God is working and God will continue to work and God will be with us. That though in this world we may have trouble, Jesus has overcome the world. And our obedience deepens our trust. And we learn to trust the Spirit who will remind us of these promises and who will teach us 
continually drawing us deeper into relationship with the Father and the Son who have made their home in us. And through the hard things, we learn to wait, trusting that even they, in some way, will be gathered into God's work of restoring this good world, of making it whole again. Um, That idea of relationship with God uh, is one of those things that has just been weighed down with a lot of baggage uh, these days. I think a lot of you probably kind of recoil at it. Um, It's been covered with those like trinkets and some garbage actually. Uh, But there's something real there. Something that you can put your weight on. Something that you can trust. I find it helpful when I think, um, when I struggle with some of the difficulties of faith these days, to think of the saints who have so clearly been channels of the kingdom. Um, Like it was this kind of trust, this relationship with God, that allowed Dr. King, right before he was assassinated, to say he was not afraid. You know, his last speech to the sanitation workers, to the sanitation workers' strike in Memphis, he said, he said this, and I'm can't preach like Dr. King. I'm not going to try. It would be embarrassing for everybody. Okay, but I will read what he said. He says this, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he has allowed me to go up the mountain. And I've looked over, and I have seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. It's through that same trust, that same listening to the Spirit, that the great theologian Thomas Aquinas, though he had been studying theology and writing theology all of his life, just up and quit one day, leaving his like, great work, the Summa Theologica, leaving it unfinished. He had a revelation of God. And he said this, the end of my labors has come. All that I have written appears to be as, to, to be as so much straw after the things that have been revealed to me. And it's how Julian of Norwich, who was able to say with such confidence that all things shall be well, how she also had a vision of something in her hand the size of a hazelnut, just a little ball. And she asked the spirit what it was. And she, write, she writes this, and it was answered to me, thus, it is all that has been made. And then as she started to wonder if this tiny thing that she held that was all that had been made might be too fragile to keep existing, that it might just disappear into nothingness, she says this, and I was answered in my understanding. It lasts and ever shall, for God loves it. And so have all things their beginning by the love of God. In this little thing, I saw three properties. First, is that God made it. The second, that God loves it. And the third, that God keeps it. My friends, our faith and our prayers are beautiful and weighty. 
though the world has made them silly and cheesy and even dangerous at times. There is something real at the base of it all. No matter what else we have piled up on it, no matter what difficult situations we face, and for no matter what reason we face them, you can put your weight on Jesus. Love Jesus. Obey his teachings. And the Father and the Son will come to you and they will make their home in you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, it seems to me that we know almost nothing about following you and loving you and loving one another, about your ways in this world and the ways that you are bringing all things right again. Please teach us. Draw us along one step at a time and help us to be faithful in each one of those steps. May we learn what it is to hear your voice and to be obedient to it. In Jesus' name, amen.